for two short readings. The first reading is Mark chapter 3, verses 33 to 34, and can be found on page 1005 in the Red Bibles. Mark chapter 3, starting to read at verse 33. Who are my mother and brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. The second reading is Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31, and can be found on page 1015. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you. Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading, Cherry. So like Jack said, uh, this evening we're going to be thinking about the topic of singleness. Now, it is a massive topic, uh, and it's not something we're going to be able to cover in one session. Uh, There's much more that I wanted to say that I'm not going to say unless you want to be here till midnight. And I guess when I speak, there'll be things that maybe you wish I'd said that I didn't say, but that's fine, because hopefully this is just the beginning of a conversation. Uh, But first of all, I want us to get, what I want us to do this evening is think about what do we mean when we talk about singleness, and then think briefly about kind of how singleness perhaps is perceived in the kind of wider uh, world outside the church, but then spend a little bit more time probably thinking about what it's like inside the church and think about how we love and care for people, both married and single. Now, sometimes the majority of people who come to a talk when you say it's going to be about singleness are people who are single which always frustrates me, but there you go. I look out and I'm very encouraged this evening because I see a vast vast mixture of people, so that's great, Uh, because it's really crucial to have both married and single people engaging with a topic like this. Uh, 100% of us have been single, and at least half of us will become single again at some point in our lives. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but if you are married, that could be, you know, that could be you. Statistics tell us that 40% of adults in the UK are single, so that's a lot of people that we're talking about, and I think the statistics are similar in the church. So first of all, I thought it would be helpful for us to think a little bit about what we mean when we're talking about singleness, and what do we think of when we hear about the word singleness. So there's going to be a couple of points this evening when I'm going to get you to turn and talk to the people near you, so you might want to move uh, and maybe find some other people to talk to. Uh, But so you've got on the handout, there's a couple of questions. So first of all, just a few moments. What do you think of when you hear the word singleness, and what are your impressions of singleness? What, What kind of goes into your mind? What's kind of on your mind this evening? And I'll give you a few moments to chat in kind of small groups you can choose what size they are uh, and then we'll come back together in a few minutes okay we're going to come back together if that's all right 
In a room this size, I imagine there's a whole lot of different things that have been talked about and different things. It is a really broad topic. Um, so uh, just here's some thoughts a little bit about what is singleness. There's a variety of different ways in which it works itself out. So there is the single, never married, no children. Uh, now that in itself is not just one little thing because within that it branches out because being single is very different when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40, 50, etc. Um, and in that group... There are people who desperately want to get married. There are some who would like to, but it's not necessarily their main aim. There are some who know they don't want to. And there are some who can't and won't for a variety of reasons. But as well as that, they've got the single parent who's perhaps never married. Uh, a single person who's been widowed. And again, that will be different for different people, depending on the age and situation in which that happened. Uh, and they might be with or without children. Uh, Then there's a single people who have been divorced, and again, that can be for a variety of different reasons, and again, that could be with or without children. There isn't one shared experience of singleness, and it can also be different across different cultures and different for men and women, of course. I recently went to a meeting, uh, which is for single women in ministry. I think there were about 10 of us at this meeting. It was a Zoom chat. And every woman at that thing had a different story as to why they were single and what that, how that worked out. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. So for me, I'm single, never married. I don't know what it's like to be single after being married. But I do know what it's like to be single in my 20s, in my 30s, and in my 40s, and to know that there are different joys and challenges at each stage. I have been both happily and unhappily single at different points, and there are a variety of different factors that affect how we feel, our own circumstances and emotions, what's happening in our friendship groups and families, how we're treated by the world, by the church, by our workplaces, by our friends and family, and more. And just like marriages change through the years, so does the experience of being single. And it's really important that we recognize that, not assuming that we fully understand where people are coming from without talking to them when they say they're single. Now, it's helpful to note all that as we get started, I think. When someone talks about being single, we can't just put them in a box and say, okay, that means this, because it's different for every person. But what does singleness look like in our culture? Well, it is the time of year when, you know, the cheesy Christmas movies are among us. And they, if nothing else, show us that we love love. And that is the world we live in, isn't it? And as much as there can be an acknowledgement that living, uh, living the life of a young, free single is liberating and attractive, at the end of the day, it is generally couples that win. It's being in a romantic relationship which trumps all others. Being single when you're young might be okay, but then you really need to grow up and settle down. Now, it's rare to find a film where there isn't a love story that brings complete satisfaction and completeness, or where the impression is given that despite a person having a good job, a loving family, and good friends, they'll only really truly reach happiness and contentment when they find the one. Uh, Danny Trawick, who is an Australian uh, uh, minister who writes lots about singleness, has recently completed a PhD on the topic, says this. She writes... It is a truth universally acknowledged that the single heroine, or less commonly hero, who remains genuinely content in their unpartnered state right through to the closing credits, does not sell movie tickets, book copies, or streaming subscriptions. How right she is. But it's not just in our films uh, and the series that we watch. 
It's the songs we listen to as well. I was uh, in bed on Sunday morning, uh, Thursday morning, listening to the radio before I got up, and two songs came back to back, and both had songs in it that struck me. They're both very old songs, but one of them said, friends can make me smile only for a while, but you can make me whole again. And another, when I was 11 years old, my father said, get yourself a wife or you'll be lonely. Two songs back to back, basically saying, I know 11's young, but that is just how it goes. There you go. Now, the troubling thing is, I reckon, that the church has largely brought into the same narrative. It believes that friendship is good and we want to encourage it. But often the impression given is that marriage is better than all things, that marriage is the goal. The church has sadly idolized marriage and the nuclear family in such a way that it has made it very difficult for those who don't fit into the so-called normal or expected patterns of that and has led to many finding it hard to fit in and find a place. Now, marriage is a wonderful gift from God and family life is brilliant. They are both absolutely crucial and we definitely want to celebrate and support all that is needed for marriages and family life to be sustained and be healthy. But over the years, this has been so idolized that married relationships and nuclear families have become the center of things in such a way that it has often made single people feel like second-class citizens, outsiders, and frankly, a bit weird. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance to chat, because on the inside cover of your booklet, I have basically put a table. Now, there's kind of a whole random selection of things. Uh, there might have been things that people might say to you. There might be things that are just, you know, that are kind of buzzing around about it. And my, my challenge to you is to turn back into your group, so I'll give you a good chunk of time to have a look at some of these things. And like... What do you think about them? Uh, have you ever said them? Would you say them? How would you feel if you heard them? We might not all agree on them. Uh, will there be different things? How might these things help or hinder somebody living as a single Christian? You don't have to do all of them. You can pick some, spend a lot of time talking about one or the other, and I'll get some feedback after this session, so at uh, this section. So if you have things to say, we can do that, and that we'll look up a couple of them. So yeah, I'll give you time to have a look at those and chat together about what do we think about some of the things in that table. Over to you. Okay, we'll come back together if that's all right. Um, we haven't got time to look all these, but maybe have a think about these more. I wanted to pick up on a couple of the ones on the table. Uh, so the one, someone asks, if Steve is so great, why isn't he married already? Now, I think that can sound like a compliment. You're kind of saying, but Steve's a great, brilliant. Wouldn't it be lovely if he was married? But just think about what it implies. It implies that marriage is for the people whose greatness makes them deserving of it. So those who aren't married, either something's gone wrong somewhere and the people around them haven't quite seen how great and deserving they are, or they're not actually that great and deserving after all. Uh, marriage is not for the great people who are worthy of it. I'm guessing we all know some pretty awful married people. Uh, and singleness is not... I'm, I'm just saying. Singleness is... <laughs> Singleness is not for the not great people who are not worthy of marriage. We all know some pretty amazing, awesome single people. Surely we might wonder why some people are single. We might even ask them why they're not married. But the chances are there are a whole load of reasons. And we should never presume that any reason has to do with their worth or dignity as an individual or as a potential spouse. Because it's really painful. The next one I'm going to pick up on is, my last child got married this week. It's such a relief to know that they're finally settled and sorted now. Somebody said this to me once, and it did make me cross, and I did respond. 
Whether I was gracious, I don't know. But um, the statement suggests that, like Steph was saying, we're on a ladder climbing up, and there are certain things that we need to do in order to reach full adulthood. Uh, we might include other things. For some, it might be, can I go into university or something like that? Uh, now, it's not a terrible thing for a parent to say, uh, because, of course, as a parent, you want your children to kind of be making you know, progress in life and kind of being who they are supposed to be. But think for a moment how it makes somebody for heal for whom that is not the case. Am I really to believe that because I haven't got married, I'm neither settled nor sorted? That my years of holding down a job, making a home, caring for friends and family, serving in church mean nothing unless I have a husband to validate them? Now, I don't think any of us really believe that, but comments like that can make single people feel really unvalued and patronised. Now, these are probably topics that the other things we can chat about more, so do come back to me on them afterwards. It'd be great to talk more about it. There's definitely a challenge for us to think about how we can be loving to one another. And for those who are married, to think carefully about how they talk with and about single people. But also, for those of us who are single, like Jenny said, not to always assume the worst and get defensive when someone says something that you find insensitive. So actually, just to pick back up on the one which talks about um, the invitation, if you don't have anywhere else to go, feel free to join us. Uh, But basically, almost making you feel like, well, you don't really want me. You kind of just fill in the gap. But we're looking for people to join us. I said this to a married friend of mine, and I said to this is what I was, I'd read it somewhere, and what did she think? And she said, oh, that's interesting, she said, because I say, if you haven't got anywhere to go, because I kind of assume that my house isn't great to come to, and you might have a better offer. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I might see it as, you don't really want me, but she's going, you might have something better. So let's not assume that when someone says something, they're trying to be unkind. We need to think about it and be careful. So let's think a little bit about what it means to be family. Um, So we'll state the obvious for a moment, that as Christians, we follow a man who was unmarried and who had no children. He lived, loved, died, and rose again, and offers abundant life to all who are single and married. And he had a lot of things to say about family. We saw when we looked at Mark 3 in the morning sessions recently that Jesus didn't think that family simply meant his birth family or his nuclear family, but included all those who loved and served God. Here are my mothers and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And later in the same gospel in Mark 10, which we heard read, it comes after the rich young ruler has gone away sad because he loved all he had more than he loved God. And this is what it says. I'm going to read it again. Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus understands family to be wider than those who are related to us by blood and says that following him, being a true disciple, brings us a wider family, that coming into God's family broadens our family enormously. Now, in the last couple of hundred years, the nuclear family has become what it's all about, that being married and having, you know, 2.4, or maybe it's whatever it is now, children, is the right way to do things. And sadly, this has had a really negative impact on single Christians and where we fit in. As the nuclear family became the hub and the place of safety and sanctuary for many, it in turn has left those who, for a variety of reasons, don't fit the mould out in the cold. 
Now, many times in the Bible, Christians are described as brothers and sisters. We're not referred to as great aunts and nieces or second cousins twice removed, those slightly far removed relationships, but brothers and sisters. And that's a close relationship, a relationship of loving and sharing together, not always getting on, but working through things and having each other's backs. And it should be like that across our churches. In Psalm 68, verse 6, we read, God sets the lonely in families. Now, this is not talking about nuclear families, but about family communities. God gives the lonely families. And ultimately, this should be realized in church communities. Churches should be like families. Now, I know that the word family can be really painful for some. And sometimes churches have used and lived the word family really badly in such a way that it's been really clear that it actually means people who are in nuclear families rather than everyone being part of the family. For some people, any talk of family at church makes them feel excluded and that is neither good nor right. Because if church is to be a family, it must include a wide spectrum of people because that's what family is. Families by nature are not homogenous. They are diverse. They have a mix of married and single, old and young, male and female, serious, silly, loud, quiet, eccentric, proper, rich, poor, jolly, grumpy, funny, serious. We're a really mixed bag. When we think of the church family, we must think wider than the nuclear family. And if you have been blessed with a nuclear family, give thanks to God because it is a joy and a privilege and a great responsibility. But as a Christian, this is not your only family. You have also been blessed with a spiritual family. Your family is bigger than the people who live in your house. Now, sometimes church families can feel like a group of nuclear families meeting together in the same place, and the single people are slotting in around the edges And if and when they get married, they can be promoted to full family member status. This is so wrong. As believers, we are already granted the status of children of God. We all share the same Heavenly Father and are all brothers and sisters together, irrespective of whether we have a husband or a wife or children. And for those who are not yet believers, we want to show them that they have a place in this family, that they can have a seat at the table because that's what family is, and that's what family does. The church shouldn't be a place where married people think they've made it, and they tolerate, patronize, or pity those who aren't married. It shouldn't be a place where single people sit around waiting to be included by the real family of the church. It should be a place where we live together, serving and blessing each other, because we all have a part to play. So how do we think about being a genuine church family? Uh, What I'm going to do, I'm going to throw out uh, some ideas and thoughts, and then I'm going to give you a little bit more time to chat about how that, what this might look like for us. Uh, And you might have uh, some questions that that might come up, that's fine. You might want to make some suggestions of things, and this will be a topic that we'll need to come back to again. But genuine families share life together. So who do you share life with in the church family who isn't in your immediate family? So a question, if you are married and you are in a nuclear family, here's a few things to think about. Where do you sit in church? Do you always sit together as a family? 
Do you ever consider what it's like to come into church by yourself and look for somewhere to sit? Could you be proactive about welcoming others to sit with you? Invite them to join you. Look out for them. Are there any people from church who have a regular place at your table? People who feel like they are family. Are there people who come round and can make themselves a cup of tea? Who slot into family life rather than being treated as a guest? Who know that they are loved and included in your life? Who know that they really matter to you? That they could come round whenever they need it? Not just people who'll do free childcare or help you out, but where you are serving them too. Uh, remembering that for a lot of single people, they perhaps don't have somebody who they're going to chat through big life decisions. They don't have somebody maybe who will help them with the DIY or even chat through spiritual things or pray with them. There isn't somebody in the house to do that. So are there ways in which you could do that uh, in, uh, with, a, with a family? I personally have been so blessed with, by relationships like this. Relationships where it's a two-way street, where I can give as I receive and enjoy being family with others. What about if you're single? Well, my question is, are you seeking to build those relationships? Not just waiting for someone to reach out, but actively looking for ways to love and bless others in church, both married, families, and single. Are you looking for ways of investing in the lives of others, bringing a brother and sister to members of your church family? Are there families or couples you could sit with on a Sunday morning rather than by yourself? And think about how you could be a blessing to them as they could to you too. Now let's be realistic. We can't do this and have this with everybody in church. But it is good for us to think about the relationships we invest in. And make sure we don't just have them with people like us. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But intentionality is really important. And if you're a parent, of course you are going to chat to other parents about parenting. But have you ever considered the number of people in church who are teachers and who have taught in youth and children's groups for years, meeting a vast array of children and young people with a variety of personalities and needs? They could be a blessing to you too. Now, I know that there are a lot of relationships like this that happen in church, and I thank God for them. They help to make our church a richer and more loving community. But I also know that there are many more people who don't have those kind of relationships and connections in church, who don't find the connection here that they need and they would love to. So are there people that we could include in our everyday events as well as big family events? Are there ways we could draw people in and actually genuinely be the family that we are called to be? So I'm going to give you your chance. Why don't you get back into your groups and chat through some of those things um, and then we will see if there's any kind of if anybody has any kind of ideas and practical things that we'd love to hear them. But we'll chat a little bit more, and then we'll come back together and we'll pray. I'm going to draw us together with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we're sorry for the times when we have lived more for ourselves than for and with the church family that you have given us. Thank you that you set the lonely in families that you give us the church as a way of bringing together people of all different kinds with Jesus at the centre. Thank you that we follow a saviour who knows and understands what it was to be single. Please help us to find ways to genuinely be brothers and sisters together. May our church community be a genuine family, bringing people together, showing genuine love and concern for one another and looking to serve others and not just ourselves. Be with each one of us, we pray married and single, whether we're finding this easy or hard, 
and help us to look out for each other and know the joy of sharing life together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.